why do I have three Super Bowl rings? Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I had to shed that jacket. I hope that's all right. It's starting to get a little hot up here. All right, so now as I continue to ease my way back into things here at Grace, as if that's a thing, being able to um, ease back into things, right? Second week of our summer series titled Identity. Right, we've got a series going on identity. We're spending some time on that concept because um, it's a rather important issue in our lives, not just as regular people, but it becomes a bigger issue in our lives, a bigger event in our lives, more important subject in our lives as followers of Christ. So now, just like last week, as I said, we're easing our way back into things. You guys got to get used to me again. So we're going to play, like last week, we played our favorite game show, Who Dis? We're going to play it again. We're going to play our favorite game show, You're like, Who Dis? See how nice it can be to ease our way back. You always think it's going to be like a marble statue, right, that all look the same, right? So classic picture of, of President Bush, right, George Bush. And so um, I, I thought, you know, there's a lot of pictures. I was looking, Googling, thinking there's a lot of different pictures I could use. And I, I picked on this one. I picked this one, but I almost picked this next one. I got to show you this next one, too. Hey. How about that, huh? Shout out to my sister, LaVon. You'd think I'd have a picture like that around my house someplace where I could put my hands on. I couldn't find it, and I had to email my sisters. LaVon finally came up with it, so thanks, Pete, for handling that for me. All right. So now when George Bush was president, um, it, like a lot of presidents, his, um, his ratings weren't doing too great at different times. So why'd you switch back? All right, that's fine. But he wanted to... He wanted to kind of get back into the community. He wanted to go visit different people in different places. So he went into this nursing home. He said he wanted to just um, get back and hobnob with regular folk is how he used to say things like that. He's from Texas, you know, so he talks like that. So he wanted to go meet some of the residents there. So we're going to this nursing home. And there's this lady sitting there in her wheelchair out in the hallway. And Bush goes up to her and he tries to engage her in some conversation. And she told him flat out. Um, she was not interested in having any company today, no visitors, and, you know, not even really any kind of conversation for that matter. And he thought, well, that's kind of strange. So he, he tried a little harder, you know, just to try to warm up to her a little bit. And she said that she's starting to lose her patience with this person, so he should just kind of move on. And he was just so dumbfounded by this whole thing. And he looked at her and he said, he said, ma'am, do you know who I am? And she looked up at him and she said, no, sir, I don't know who you are, but if you go to that nice lady sitting at the desk, I'm sure she can help you remember who you are. <laughs> now, that's a good real-life illustration of how our identity become, can become tricky sometimes, and sometimes a confusing topic. And as I said last week when I was quoting the great Vince Lombardi, it's important for us to, um, to repeat the important things. I know that sounds more like Yogi Berra than, than Vince Lombardi. It's important to repeat the important things over a couple of times. So last week we defined a few terms that we're going to be echoing during this series. Um, I don't want to rehash everything we talked about yes, or last week. If you haven't seen last week's message, you might want to just go back and take a peek at that on our YouTube channel because uh, it lays the groundwork for a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about again in the next coming weeks, next Sunday notwithstanding. But so, okay, we, we define some terms. Uh, first, I want, to, I, I want to define the term identity as we are going to talk about it, right? Identity is what you believe about yourself, right? I, your identity is what you believe about yourself. Now, that's not the textbook. That's not the Webster Dictionary. That's our functioning definition here. 
and parenthetically would say who you believe you are. Your identity is who you believe you are. And maybe that sounds simple enough, right? Uh, but one has to be aware, uh, because one of the problems that we run into, like that lady talking with, with George Bush, we might forget for a moment who we are. And then we need to rely on somebody else, right, to fill in the blanks for us. And now I'm sure that nice lady over there at the desk would be honest and not tell this lady in the wheelchair that she was Mamie Eisenhower or, you know, Lady Bird Johnson or something like that, right? Because uh, believe it or not, that's exactly what happens to followers of Christ. We sometimes rely, are you listening to me? Sometimes we rely on others to define and to describe our identity, right? We ask them to assign us our identity. Before I unpack that part right there, because that's an important part, because we rely on others to describe, to define, to assign our identity. But before I get to that part, I want to back up a little bit. Remember how I told you uh, at the beginning of the service I'm heading to uh, my family reunion? And uh, my family does that almost every year. Maybe not every year, but we try to get together. They call it the Cousins Reunion. And so, you know, pretty much anybody that um, lives in that area is related to me, kind of like you guys around here. So they show up all over. I was at this particular one a couple years ago. Um, Kids were still pretty young when we were there. Um, and so, you know, I told the people that I was leaving, I think we lived in Japan at the time, and I told them as we were going, you know, we're going to go to this big family reunion and um, see a bunch of people. And when I got back, one of my good friends um, asked me how things went. He said, how was that reunion? And I said, you know, I kind of looked around a little bit, and I said, you know, um, I can't help but say the whole thing was uh, a little bit of a disappointment. You know, I saw everybody I wanted to see, and we had great food. We had a lot of fun. I saw cousins and aunts and uncles that I hadn't seen since since I was a little kid on my grandpa's farm. But the disappointing part was all that we talked about, all anybody wanted to talk about, as I described it to my friend, all we talked about was what we did for food money. People said, where do you work? What do you do? Mix that in with some news about your kids, and boom, there you go. That's your identity. That's who you believe you are. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. All of those things are true, but... Is that it? You know, like that movie that Jack, Nichol- uh, Jack Nicholson was in. Um, he said, what, is it, what if this is as good as it gets? Or to say that another way, is, is this all that there is? And to illustrate that, that question, is that all there is, or isn't there more to it than this? I've got an older interview that I'd like you to see with, uh, with Tom Brady. Now that he's uh, retired, maybe we can mention his name in, in public in you know, polite conversations. This guy had incredible, conversa- or, uh, incredible accomplishments in his career. This is an older one. He's like, I think he's 27. I don't know if he says it right here in this clip that I'm going to show you. Uh, but he's 27 at this time. He's already won three Super Bowls and had signed at that moment a contract that, uh, that was a record amount of money for anybody. But he's still asking questions at the end. So take a peek at this real quick. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is, me, I thank God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? What's the answer? Wish I knew. Wish I knew. Is all there is, right? <clears throat> is this as good as it gets? 
I mean, this is a guy that was at literally the top of everything in his career and many parts of different parts of culture, different parts of the world. And he is asking the question, isn't there something else other than this? Is this it? Right? And that should be our question when we talk about our identity. Right? What do you do for food money should not be how we describe who we are. Our identity is not a school teacher. Our identity is not uh, an Air Force bandsman. Our identity is not of this earth, right? Because if we try to do that, we're going to be constantly asking the question, is this it? Is this as good as it gets? Is this all there is? So my point is, if we're not on our guard, if we're not focusing on, on the goal, then our surroundings begin to define who we are and what we're all about. Our surroundings begin to define who we are and what we're all about. And we flat out forget that the only one that really gets to define our identity is our creator. He's the one that gets to define our identity, not the world around us, not the people around us. And when we forget that, that the creator is the one that gets to define our identity, and sometimes we do it purposefully because we want to fit in with the crowd, right? We purposely forget that God gets to define our identity because um, that identity just doesn't get us enough attention. It just isn't cutting it, right? So we want to throw ourselves into a different identity that, that just might get some of that attention, that recognition that we feel we deserve, we feel like we should be getting, we feel like we're missing in our lives. And any way you slice it, when you replace something in your life, the old one is tossed aside so the new one can take its place. In this earthly world, we protect our identity with an iron fist. Right? Strong passwords and strong firewalls. Right? We guard against scam artists looking to take our worldly possessions. Right? Yet we stand idly by when our spiritual identity is stolen and replaced. We stand idly by when our spiritual identity is stolen and replaced. Replaced with some nice looking or nice sounding fad that seems to be popular now. And if it gets changed later on, eh, that's okay too. We'll roll with that because we weren't all that attached to the other one anyway. I could give you some stats right now, and I thought I was going to, when I was putting this together earlier in the week, I thought, you know, this is going to be my introduction. I'm going to talk about stats that I looked up earlier in the week from um, identitytheft.org. That's a thing, by the way, identitytheft.org. Stats about how many people are victims of identity theft every year. And they break it down into categories. This is how, how people's identity is stolen and how it affects things. And then the, the costs that it costs, the, the consumer costs, the, the culture. And then the, the percentage of people who have their identities stolen, right? The victims of identity theft. All very interesting stuff. And they also have, uh, along the ways they have also in there, uh, ways you can avoid becoming the next victim of identity theft. But here's the deal that I want to talk about. And as I say, there, there's no getting around this. Every Christian's identity is constantly under attack. 24-7, 100% of the time. The sad part about that idea is that most people from young adults on and older know at least some of the common sense tactics to avoid or at least mitigate the chances of becoming a victim of identity theft. Right? But we have very little idea very little idea of how to protect ourselves from an attack on our spiritual identity. And to bring that point home a little more honestly, a little more 
um, painfully, maybe a little more realistically for sure, that we don't know how to, or that, that we don't protect ourselves from a spiritual identity attack. I'll backtrack a little and remind us that um, uh, our working definition of identity is who you are, right? Right? Who you are and what you believe. The thing about our spiritual identity is we might not be able to, do, to, to define exactly what it is that we're trying to protect. We might not be able to define exactly what it is that we're trying to protect. Are you protecting your spiritual identity? And our first question might be, what is that exactly again? How do I do that again? I understand protecting my credit card, my social security number, all that kind of stuff. But what's my spiritual, what am I, what am I protecting and how do I do that? Your definition of identity is who you believe you are, what you believe about yourself. And I guarantee if I ask you who you are, I'll get that same answer that I get at the family reunion. Even if you're retired, well, I'm a retired. You let me know what you do for food money. And then follow-up questions, is there more than that? Oh, yeah, I got kids. They do things. I got grandkids. They do things. But there's more than that. More than the approval from those uh, people who happen to be around us at this moment in our life. Like I said, we trade it off for things that may be a little more popular, maybe get a little more recognition, maybe get a little more attention. Right? And worry about these people around in our lives. And when we're younger, you know, you're trying to impress these people in your lives. And I guarantee you, you're not going to remember their names in a couple of years. But for some reason, that's more important. So as we continue to work through this series... I'm going to point out several places where God defines who you are. I said the creator gets to define who you are. So we should look at it and say, okay, where does he define it and how does he define it? Your identity. This morning, Lyle read from 1 Peter. I want to look at the first part of chapter 2, verse 10, where it says, once you had no identity as a people... Now you're a God's people. Once you didn't have an identity, but God says, I'm going to give you my, your identity, and part of that is going to be you are God's people. And often uh, what happens, I don't know if you've ever re- read through First, uh, Second Peter, if you've read Peter's writings, but he gets things mixed up a little bit. It's kind of hard to discern exactly where he's going with things. Sometimes he puts things first and then um, second, like he puts his conclusions first and then he puts um, the proof second. So he kind of does that here. So I want to back up and look at verse 9. Because this is God defining who you are. I want you to look at this. I want you to look at this carefully. But God did what? Chose you to be his people. And then he defines you. He says, you are what? You are what? And then a holy nation. Look at this next one. You are God's what? Special treasure. You are all these things so that you can boast and brag about it and talk. Oh, wait, no. All these things so that you can give him praise. The word praise, a better translation of that is proclaim. So we can proclaim who God is. All these things. So that we can ultimately give God our praise. The way we can ultimately put our, give God our praise is to put our identity in him. And then proclaim it. Then spread that word. Spread his name. 
Back there in verse 10, when it says you are God's people, it's because you have been bought and you've been paid for with a price. You are now God's people because he bought you with a price. That's why Lyle read earlier in Isaiah 43, verse 1, right? Fear not, I have redeemed you. And I also named you. Because you are my own possession that I have bought with a price. The result of all of that is your identity lies in him. So when the devil comes knocking or the world comes knocking or friends and family come and tries to knock you off there, tries to intimidate you, you can stand firm and not be intimidated by whatever it is that's coming along your way. I had one of those situations once where this guy stood firm. Um, we were playing a gig at uh, Baltimore Stadium at Camden Yards. We are playing for uh, an Orioles game. We are going to do the anthem before the game, and then we were going to play uh, some music in between innings and things like that. So um, we were right down, right down there close to the field. You've probably seen bands and stuff down there before. But So a couple weeks before we went to this gig, trumpet player and I drove up to Baltimore, and we scouted it out and said, well, how do we go down here? Where do we go to get set up? And uh, this guy was leading us through the stadium. He said, if you just go right down this ramp, he took us down the ramp, and boom, there we are right there at the stage right where we're going to set up. Cool. Day of the gig, we come in, got a van full of guys, got a, a cargo truck with some of our gear on it behind us, and I'm driving down this concourse, you know, right in the stadium. A few people around, but it's pretty early. We get to the gate where we're going to go down, or the ramp we're going to go down. There's, the gate is closed, and there's a dude standing behind it, and I said, okay, hold on one second. So I got there to the gate, and I told the dude, hey, we're the band, we're supposed to come down through here. And he said, yeah, I'm sorry, this gate is closed on game day. You must have got some bad information. He said, but if you just go down to the next gate down there, it's going to go right down to the place where you want to go. Everything's going to be cool, but I can't open this gate. Okay, no problem, no harm, no foul. So I get back in the van, and I said, um, we just got to go down to the next one. This one's closed. And sitting next to me in the van is uh, almost one of those people in your life that's more like a cartoon character than an actual human. His name was Joseph R. Taylor, and Joseph R. Taylor was a chief master sergeant. That's how he talked, and that's a perfect impersonation of him, by the way. <laughs> I didn't even practice that. But that's not a good enough answer for chief master sergeant Joseph R. Taylor, right? He says, he says I thought we were supposed to go down this ramp, and I said, yeah, we were, but things changed. I said, we just got to go around the corner. It's no big deal. He said, he's opening his door. He says, come with me. Now, Joe Taylor was about this tall, right? When we walk up to the gate, I'm thinking, I'm not sure how this is going to go. And he walks up to the guy standing behind the gate who's just doing his job, right? He walks up and he says, I demand that you open this gate at once. And the guy said, sir, can't open this gate unless it's an emergency. Literally, unless the bells and whistles are going off, this gate has to stay shut. It's a, it's a security thing. I can't open this gate. And Joe says, do you know who I am? And the guy says, I can't say this is a straight face. The guy said, no, sir, I have no idea who you are. He's got his little fists all tightened up. He says, my name is Chief Master Sergeant Joseph R. Taylor, and I demand that you open this gate. And the guy says, he's as calm as a cucumber. He says, sir, he's Chief Master Sergeant, right, is what he heard. He said, I don't care if you're chief of the whole Indian nation. He said, I cannot open this gate. I said, come on, sir, let's just go back in. But this guy was not going to be intimidated by these stripes going up and down. Chief Master Sergeant, by the way, is the highest rank you can attain in the Air Force. He was not going to be intimidated by that at all. But that is and was 
I don't know what about now, but that was Joseph R. Taylor's. That was his identity, was chief master sergeant all the time. He retired years ago. I don't know what he's doing now. I don't know how he's figured things out now. But, but that's what I'm talking about. When the devil comes and tries to bully us, tries to intimidate us, but do you know who I am? So knock us off course. We are God's chosen people, right? We are holy priests. We are a holy nation. We are God's special treasure, right? And we can say to whatever it is that's trying to intimidate us, whatever it's trying to steal our identity, whatever trying to pull us the other way, we can say, like that lady told Bush, just move on, right? I don't have time for this right now. So why does God tell us these things about our identity? Why does God tell us these things about our identity? Why does he list that? God's chosen people, royal priests, holy nation, special treasure. Verse 9 says, so that we can shine his marvelous light. That's what VBS is going to be all about, shining his light. Proclaim the fact that he took us out of darkness and he put us into the light. You can't be a witness for Christ or a follower if you don't know your identity in him. Like I said, we know how to protect our, our financial identity, our social security numbers, things like that, but we have no idea how to protect our spiritual identity. But the first step to that is starting to define it. Knowing that you are God's chosen people. Knowing that he has called you by name. He has literally named you. I have redeemed you. I have bought you with a price. And now you're my royal priest. You're my holy nation. You are my special treasure. Can't be a witness for, or a follower of Christ if you don't know your identity in him and you don't put your identity in him. And here's the thing. He wants to do mighty things in your life. Some of you know what I'm talking about. He wants to do mighty things in your life. He wants to break the chains that have weighed you down for years and years and years. He's waiting for you to simply believe what he says about you. Simply believe what he says about you. Believe what he says about you and to not let anyone steal your identity in him. Amen? Okay, would you please stand with me?